chapter 4 this evening. I do thank you again for joining with us and we trust the Lord will bless. There are some people here for the first time. I do hope you'll feel the warmth of our welcome. We're so glad to see you and we trust indeed that you'll enjoy uh, the presence of the Lord uh, this evening. Revelation chapter 4 and we're going to read from the verse number 1 please. Revelation chapter 4 and we're reading from verse number 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet, talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was was to look uh, upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. Round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had the face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle, and the four beasts which had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they had rest, uh, they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth for ever and ever. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth for ever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they were created. We do trust God will bless the public reading of his own precious and fallible and earned and inspired word to our hearts this evening. I heard a story about a man who owned a huge ranch and he had invited some friends out to to view this ranch and in the ranch there was a a stretch of river and this stretch of river was full of crocodiles and he said, you know, the one thing I admire more than anything else is courage and bravery and this man was a billionaire, he owned thousands of acres he says, I will give the man whatever he asks, the man that will seek to cross this stretch of water. Immediately this man jumped in and began to swim across this stretch of water where the crocodiles seemed to be everywhere. When he reached the other side, the the man said, you know, you're one of the bravest men that I've ever met. What is it that I can give to you? He says, I want to know who pushed me. I want to know who pushed me. He wasn't as brave as perhaps at first appeared. And you know, when you come to handle a book like the book of the Revelation, Uh, Some people may say you're a little bit mad. Uh, Others may say you're brave, but it's a wonderful book in the Word of God. I've entitled this series, The The Last Book for the Last Days. Surely, surely we're living in the last of the last days. Surely we must believe this evening that Jesus Christ is coming, and he's coming very soon. More than ever, we need to come to a book like the book of the Revelation. I, I believe Indeed, this is a wonderful book. I know 
And we'll see in a few moments there's a blessing promised to all who will read and study and obey uh, this book. Uh, why am I starting in chapter 4? A number of years ago, indeed it was 2014, we began in chapter 1, we went through chapter 2 and 3, we dealt with the seven churches, we dealt with chapter 1 uh, and all the different views and the interpretation of Revelation. Those messages are still online. Uh, if you want to try and find them, uh, they were preached on the 26th of February 2014 and the 5th of March 2014. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to a little bit of the introduction on the book of Revelation, you'll find them very easily on our site on Sermon Audio. And so I don't want to go over things uh, that we've dealt with before. But do look back into chapter 1 and verse number 3. We've mentioned this already. And this is to encourage you this evening. Encourage you not just for tonight, but indeed night by night as we seek to spend time in this grand old book. Revelation 1 verse 3. Here's what John says, inspired by the Spirit of God. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. As far as I'm aware, this is the only book in the Bible where there's a specific blessing promised to those who read it, to those who study it, and to those who obey it. So I know I'm on good ground tonight when I say to you in the authority of the Word of God that you will have a blessing by coming and listening to these studies this evening. I believe you'll have a blessing coming week by week. Now let me say a little bit about Revelation. It's not all about Armageddon and Antichrist and the mark of the beast. These are things we'll get to. But in order to get to those passages which perhaps excite people, we have to go through the whole book to set them in context. I want you to know that what we preach in this church, we really believe. But moreover, what we preach in this church, we believe, is based 100% on the Word of God. Now let me say in 2021, we are very much in the minority. Very much in the minority. Certainly in the minority in Baptist churches. But if you took uh, Christendom, and we use that word very uh, loosely, right throughout the Northern Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, the British Isles, you would find what we believe sets us apart from many other places. Very prevalent in the United States, not so much in the United Kingdom. There was a time when that situation was different. But sadly, over time, things have changed. But I believe what we teach and what we preach here is based on the Word of God. But I'm willing to teach it, and I want you to be the Bereans. I want you to search the Scriptures and see if these things be so. A few years ago, Her Majesty the Queen opened the doors of Buckingham Palace to tourists. Uh, I wasn't part of it anyway. I don't remember which part. I was at the back of it one time for a garden party, but that was nothing to do with me. It was to do with Abigail and the Duke of Edinburgh. But I remember being in the throne room. And I remember seeing the, 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 the jewels, the, the, the crown, and, and what a wonderful thing. And I remember seeing Windsor Castle and many of these great places. And, and when you get into the throne room, there's a real majesty about it. Tonight we're going into the throne room of heaven. And we're going to see the throne. Indeed, 12 times in this chapter, the word throne is mentioned. More times if you translate the word seats into thrones. But 12 times you'll read about the throne. Verse 2, and immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat in the throne. Verse number 3, he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne uh, in sight like unto 
an emerald. Verse 5, out of the throne, before the throne. Verse 6, in the midst of the throne. It's all about the throne this evening. We're coming into the throne room of heaven. We're coming into the throne room of God this evening. Let's look at these verses uh, this evening uh, efficiently and yet faithfully tonight. I want you to see something that's clear and certain in verse number 1. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. You see the ascent First of all, a door was opened in heaven, and even though John was in the Isle of Patmos, even though he was banished there, even though he was living in poverty there, he'd be very little to eat, his clothes would be rough and and very scant indeed, even for the winter, and even though he's in this prison island, that didn't stop the Lord lifting him into the heavenlies. And John is, is brought into the heaven. You see, no Roman prison can really hold a child of God. No one can keep the Lord out of whatever prison cell we find ourselves in. And there's some certainties here. Verse number one, after this I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. Heaven is a real place. John said, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. He says he's gone to prepare a place for us. And he says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. It's a real place. It's as real as refining. And if you're saved tonight, and I believe you are in this meeting, and if you're saved watching from home, you're, you're as sure as heaven as if you're already there. Paul had been in heaven. Second Corinthians 12, verse 2. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. He goes on to say how he was caught up into paradise, heard unspeakable words, which it's not lawful for any man to utter. It was so amazing, Paul was told to keep it to himself. He, he couldn't tell you about heaven. It, it was so wonderful. But what John did say, he says, I'm in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Whatever it was, Paul says, I, I would just love to be in heaven. There was something about it that drew Paul to heaven. And here is a certainty this evening that heaven is a real place. What John is doing this evening, he's seeing the earthly situation from the heavenly viewpoint. I often use the illustration of the London Eye. I remember the first time, I'm, not, I'm scared of heights, but I'm okay with it because you're closed in. Don't ask me to climb on a ladder. But in this thing, you're lifted away up. And remember looking down on the mother of parliaments. And the House of Parliament, it's a beautiful building. And there's some laws passed there. And it is indeed the Mother of Parliament. But you see, when you look down on it, it's like a matchbox. It's not that big a thing. And when you see things from heaven's perspective, it brings them into scale. You see, you remember the 12 spies that went into the land of Canaan? You know, they saw giants. And they said, on their sight, we were just grasshoppers. Caleb and Joshua didn't see the giants. They saw a great God because they looked from heaven's perspective. And this is what we're going to see. We're going to see the situation in the world from heaven's perspective. You see the ascent, heaven is real. Then you see something absolute here. Look at verse 1 again. After this I looked and beheld a door was opened in heaven and the first voice which I heard was it were of a trumpet talking with me 
which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. Here's something definite. He's going to show us things which must be hereafter. Now, go back to Revelation 1.19. I have to do this this evening. Here's the outline of the book of Revelation. And God has inspired his own outline here, which makes the preacher's job easier. Look at Revelation 1 verse 19. And here John's instructed, write the things which thou hast seen. Now if you read chapter 1, John saw a vision of Christ. And John writes about the things which he has seen. And then he's to write about the things which are. If you read chapter 2 and 3, it's all about the churches. And he goes through the seven churches, beginning in Ephesus and right through to to Laodicea. And John has written about the things that he's seen. He saw Christ. He has written about the things which are the seven churches. And then he's asked to write about the things which shall be hereafter. Now, the word shall is now changed to must. The things that must be hereafter. And the word hereafter is the exact same word. And so what you have in the book of Revelation, you have what John saw. You have what was at that time, the seven churches, and then you have something future. Everything from chapter 4 through to the end of this book hasn't happened yet. Now, not everybody believes that. There are some people believe that this book is, is not about the, the last days. This book about, is, about the, is about the past days. But I think the outline of the book, and when you read, and you'll see it as we go through from chapter 4, Right through to the end of the book, there are some events that, have ha- that will happen and you will try hard to tie them into anything that has happened in history. Have to be future. And you'll see that as we go through, particularly the great tribulation period. And here's something absolute. We're looking at something that is yet to happen. We're coming into the future aspect of this book. You see the ascent. He is taken up into heaven. You see something absolute. These are the things that must happen. When God says it will happen, it will happen. And then you see something that's absent here. You see, when you read Revelation 1, 2, and 3, you'll read about the church 19 times, I think it is. When you come to chapter 4 and you read right through to chapter 19, you won't find a mention of the church at all. The church is absent After 4 verse 1, and I think there's at least a picture here. Look at verse 1 again. After this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. You see the mention of a trumpet. That makes me think of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which we preached on on Sunday. Makes me think of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where it talks about the trump of God. And it talks about the last trump. And here's a trumpet sound. And here John is taken up into heaven. You see the letters to the seven churches are not just practical, literal seven churches. I believe there's a prophetical picture there. You can look at the churches and look at the decline. And when you get to the last church, the Laodicean church, it's a lukewarm church. Surely we're in the Laodicean age. Surely we're living in a day when the church is lukewarm. It's not what it used to be. It's not on fire for God any longer. And so when you come to Revelation chapter 4, you see heaven open, and it's as if the Lord is saying to us, the church will be taken away, and the church is going to be taken into heaven. Now in Revelation 19 verse 11, 
heaven is opened again. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. And when you read through 19, I don't want to steal from it now, Christ is coming back again, and is coming back with the saints. I believe in chapter 4 you have a picture at least of what happens in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when Christ comes for the saints. Remember, he's coming back. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, and Paul believed he could be in that number, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And we are not going to go through the tribulation. We're going to go home. I'm not going through, I'm going up. I don't know about you. As has often been said, I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the upper taker. I'm not looking for the man of sin. I'm looking for the sinless man. Jesus Christ is coming again. And I believe we will be caught up and taken away. Revelation 3 verse 10 says this, Behold, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world. And this tribulation will go across all the world. The rest is, I'm going to keep you from it. I'm not going to keep you through it. I'm going to keep you from it. We're not appointed unto wrath. Praise God this evening. Christ has dealt with all the wrath on Calvary's cross. And we're not going to go through this tribulation period. You know, there's something else here as well. There's a little phrase that's repeated over and over again in the first two chapters. Look at Revelation 2 verse 7. I'm just giving you this out this evening, really by way of introduction. I just like to show these little things, particularly for the young men and young ladies who like to study the scripture. Look at Revelation 2 verse 7. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And you can see the churches, the churches, the churches. John's talking about the churches. Now go to Revelation 13 verse 9. Just to show you something very different. See what it says in 13 verse 9. If any man have an ear, let him hear. No mention of the church. No mention of the churches at all. You see, I believe what you have in Revelation chapter 1, you have Christ, and Christ is going to come and deal with the church. Revelation 2 and 3, you have the church as it was then, the seven churches. I believe you've also got a prophetical picture of the decline in the church. Started off with Ephesus in love with the Lord, but they left their first love. And then you come to Laodicea where it's lukewarm and the Lord says, you make me sick. You make me sick. And then you have the rapture. You have the church caught up into heaven. And here's John in heaven and he's seeing things from heaven's viewpoint. Now there's something else here this evening which I think again adds to my argument. As I say, I'm perhaps in, when it comes to pastors now, I'm very much in the minority. But I want you to look at Revelation 4 verse 4. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats. That word seats could be thrones. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now look at verse number 10 in chapter 4. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Twelve times in the book of the Revelation we meet these twenty-four elders. Now who are they? 
Who are these 24 elders? The word elders uh, uh, speaks of maturity. It, it speaks of age. That's the same word that's used as an elder in the church. You're looking for spiritual maturity. It's the word presbyter where the word Presbyterian comes from. And I'm not going to tell the joke which people always tell at this stage. You see, there are Presbyterians in heaven. I'm not going to tell that joke this evening. But there you have these four and twenty elders. The fact that their elders would, for me, rule out them being angels. Because angels have no age. You can't age angels. So some people think that these are a group of angels or angelic beings, but I don't think that's the case. An elder would indicate that they're certainly not angels. In the Old Testament, only those who descended from Aaron could serve in the temple. As time went on, there were so many people, they divided them into 12 orders and two from each order. And that number 24 became a representative group of all the priests. So I think what you have here is a representative group. And I think a representative group of priests. But they're on thrones. Remember the word seats is thrones. And when you think about them being kings and priests, we'll say a wee bit more about that in a moment. I believe they, they represent the church. They either represent the church, or some would say they're angels. I think we can rule that out. And some say the believers of every age. Here's something else for you to see. Look at verse number four again. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats or the thrones I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment. Now, look at chapter 5, verse 9. Here's the four and twenty elders again. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy uh, to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hath redeemed us. Verse 8 will tell you that the four and twenty elders are saying that. They're saying you have redeemed us. And these 24 group are representing people who have been redeemed. People who have been redeemed. As I say, I believe it is representative of the church. I say, I think we can rule out angels, for angels have never been redeemed. But look again at the end of verse number 4, something else they have. They have on their heads crowns of gold. You never read about angels being crowned or sitting upon thrones. But you do read about the believers being crowned. And what this book teaches, you can find it in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, uh, that we all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And it's not talking about sinners, it's talking about saints. When you follow the we in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul's talking about believers. We, we, we. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. I believe when we're raptured, there's going to be that grand inspection. And that's when God's people will be given their crowns. So when I see these 24 elders seated, I, I see them as kings and priests. That's what John said in Revelation 1 verse 6. He hath made us kings and priests. I, I see them representing a redeemed group. I, I see them crowned and rewarded. And therefore, I can draw the only occlusion. And I'm not being dogmatic. But I believe they represent the church. You see, from Revelation chapter 6 through to 19, events on the earth will take place. But when you read about the 24 elders, you'll always find them in heaven. Because I believe when this world goes through the tribulation period, the church will be in heaven. I believe we're going to be caught up 
before the trouble comes. See the ascent there is a heaven? You see something absolute, God's plans will not be thwarted. You see something absent, we're going to see the king in the twinkling of an eye. Do you see what it says in verse 2? Immediately, immediately. John just instantaneously is taken up into heaven. One day that's going to happen to Saul. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That's something we looked at on Sunday. You see something clear and certain. We need to move on. Then you see the control center. Look at verse 2 again. And immediately, as I said, again, that would certainly indicate uh, that it's a picture of what's going to happen in the church. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat upon the throne. You see the preeminence here. John sees a throne. It, It catches his attention. I believe this is God on the throne. We will find the Lamb on the throne in chapter 5. You see the the preeminent position, God first. Then you see the position, he's on a throne. This is a symbol of authority and rule. It's a symbol of the authority of God. Once again, we're reminded as the people of God that our God is still in the throne. And you notice he's seated. You see, we're going to read through Revelation that there's going to be hell upon earth. Now, when we see what's happening on earth at this time, when we see this awful pandemic, when we read about the earthquakes, we see what's happening in Afghanistan, we see what they're doing to the unborn children, when we see morally what's happening in the world, as I said on the Lord's Day in the the drive-in, the things have happened in Ulster, I I would have said they've never happened. Somebody had told me they were going to happen, even though I knew from this book that it was going to come like the days of Lot and we were going to become more and more like Sodom. I would have said it'll never happen in Ulster. But this is where we are today. The world is in a mess, but please, child of God, remember God's still in the throne. There's no panic in heaven. There's no pandemic in heaven. There's no accidents in heaven. There's nothing takes God by surprise. Our God is on the throne. Do you remember... Wasn't it Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah saw the Lord sitting on the throne? In the year that King Uzziah died, his heart must have been broken. It's likely he was related to King Uzziah. And Isaiah must have thought, what are we going to do without him? And he saw the Lord sitting on the throne. The Lord's still in the throne. And I'm sure you miss him. And it's lonely without him. But God's on the throne. And he's in control of the situation. You see the preeminence. You see the position he's on the throne. You see something permanent. This throne is set. That means it's permanent. You see, when we think of seats, we talk about MLAs having seats. If the latest opinion poll is right, there's an awful lot of people going to lose their seats at the election next May in the will of the Lord. God is never up for re-election. He will never be indicted. He he will never be charged with anything. He will never be replaced. He he will never be unseated. He will never lose his seat. Permanently. Permanently. Our God is on the throne. You see the place in heaven. Our God reigns in heaven. And nothing will ever unseat him. It's interesting 
I would love to go to tonight's Psalm 2. You know, Psalm 2 is a, a, is a picture of, of the millennial kingdom and, and you see them all coming together and they're going to come against Israel and come against the Lord. And it says, he that sitteth on the throne shall laugh. God's going to laugh at them. The United Nations think they're calling their shots. God's laughing at them. And I'll tell you, God will have the last laugh. God will have the last laugh. You see the comfort for Christians. Look at verse number three. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne and the sight like unto an emerald. John describes the, the glory of God first of all here as a, as a jasper. Revelation 21 it talks about a, a jasper being as clear as crystal. This speaks of the absolute holiness of God. Absolute holiness of God. He sees the purity of God. And then you see the, the sardis stone or the sardine stone. Sam Gordon says the sardis is suggestive of the holiness connected with the government of God. It is a deep, fiery, flashing, blood-red stone. And it's a powerful reminder that our God is a consuming fire. What John sees is that God is ready to judge. This holy, righteous God is going to move and he's going to move in judgment. It's interesting, when we studied the high priestly garments, uh, I some of these I just have to give you references for. Exodus 28, verse 17 to 21. The sardis and the jasper were the first and the last stone and they represented Israel. And I wonder, in a way, is God saying, even though this time of judgment's coming, even though it's going to be the time of Jacob's trouble, he says, I'm going to look after Israel. I'm going to look after Israel. I wonder, is, what, is that what God is saying? You see the precious stones, but then here comes a precious sight. Verse 3, He that Sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone and there was a rainbow round about the throne and sight like unto an emerald. You know, the psalmist said that he leads us in green pastures. Green is the color of peace. Green is the color associated with the peace of God. And this, this rainbow, remember what a rainbow would represent? It's God's faithfulness. It's God's grace. It's God's love. Do you remember he promised he would never destroy the world with the flood again? Every time a shower of rain would come, Noah would be nervous, but then he would remember the rainbow, that God's going to look after him. And God's going to keep his promise. You know, we, we only see sort of half a rainbow, but this rainbow was complete. God's faithfulness never ends. God's love never ends. God's mercy never ends. You know, a rainbow always comes when there's a storm. And God says, through the storm, the love and the grace and the mercy of God is there for you. If you can see it this evening. And even in the midst of a book that's going to talk about judgment that will make the hair stand on the back of your necks, particularly as you go through the tribulation, it seems that God tightens the screw. And when we get to chapter 16, it's one of the most fearful chapters in the Bible. It would scare the living daylights out of you. God says, don't forget the rainbow. I've made a promise to you. I'm going to keep my promise to you. And we're the subject of his love and grace 
and mercy. You see something clear and certain. You see the control center. God is on the throne. You see the comfort for Christians, the precious stones, but then there's that precious sight of the rainbow. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And then we see the coming catastrophe. Look at verse number 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God here coming from the throne. You see God's in control of this. What's going to happen on planet earth is awful, but God has got his finger on the pulse. And whatever is happening in in Northern Ireland or the United Kingdom or even throughout the world, God is in control. Don't ever lose that picture. And whatever happens in your life, God's got it. God has got it. Just keep trusting him. The throne of grace is now a throne of judgment. And these words that were used were the words that were used at Sinai when the giving of the law. Let me read them to you. Exodus 19, verse 16. It came to pass on the third day in the morning there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount. But, but moreover, in the book of the Revelation, let me give you a, a quick resume of what we're going to come to. You see, when we get to chapter 6, we're going to have seven seals that are open. And every time a seal is opened in heaven, something terrible happens on earth. When we come to Revelation 8 verse 5, turn to it with me this evening just so you see. Revelation 8 verse 5. Remember we're looking for the thunders and the lightnings that we find in verse number 5. Look at Revelation 8 verse 5 and here's the the seals. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. You see the judgment of God? You see, when the seventh seal comes, that's going to introduce seven trumpet judgments. Now look at Revelation 11, verse 19. Here, in the midst of the trumpet judgment, look at eleven nineteen. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of his testament, and there was lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Do you see the judgment again? You see, when we get to the seventh trumpet, We then have what's called the seven vile judgments. These are little vials poured out quickly. As I say, the judgments become more intense as we move through. Look at Revelation chapter 16. Here are the vile judgments. 16 verse 18. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. I'll tell you, this word's in for an awful time. You see those climate change people? They don't know the half of it, what's going to happen with this planet. And you can see that the throne of grace where the rainbow is now a throne of judgment. And God is going to pour out his judgment. And from chapter 6 on, all hell will break out on planet earth. I'm so glad I'm saved. Are you glad you're saved? Let's go back to Revelation 4, verse 5. Revelation 4, verse 5. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. This is a a reference to the Holy Spirit. In Revelation 1, verse 4, we read about the seven spirits which are before his throne. In Isaiah 11, verse 2, you have a a, a sevenfold 
ministry of the Spirit of God mentioned. And this is the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. When Christ went up, he says, I'm going to send the Comforter to you. And right through the church age, the Spirit of God has been a Comforter. It has also been that, um, that, that power that, that God used, not a power, but the person that God used to convict us of our sin and judgment. And here the, the Comforter is going to become the Condemner. Things have changed. The church is gone. And here the Spirit of God is at the heart of the judgment of God. You'll have God the Father and God the Spirit. And when we get to chapter 5, we'll meet God the Son. You see the, 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 the Spirit of God, the Comforter, becoming the consumer as the judgment of God is poured out. You see something clear and certain. You see the control center, the Comfort for Christians, the coming catastrophe. Then we have some confusing characters here. Verses 6 through to verse number 8. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts, um, full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like unto a lion, the second beast unto a calf, the third beast like was the face of a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts, each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. The first thing that the Lord mentions here is a sea of glass. If you were to go to the temple, it talks about a, a molten sea. And the sea would be filled with water. But this was a sea of glass. Now, now in the temple that was used for cleansing, here in heaven there's no need for cleansing. And dear believer this evening, we'll never have to confess any sins in heaven. We'll never have to say, Lord, I've sinned. We'll never have to weep like Peter who went out and wept bitterly. We'll never fail God again. What a wonderful thing heaven's going to be. When we are completely what Christ intended us to be, conformed to the image of his dear son. But look at these confusing characters. The word beast here is not the same as the word that we come in Revelation 13 when we come to look at the Antichrist. It really could be translated the, the living ones, living creatures of you like. And these creatures have attributes of God. They're full of eyes before and behind. Verse 8, eyes within. They, they are all seeing and, and all knowing. And you can see some animals mentioned here. We have the lion and the calf and the man and the eagle. Now what's this all about this evening? Well, when we open our New Testament, we come to the Gospel of Matthew we discover that Matthew talks about Christ the King. When we come to Mark, Christ is a servant. There's no genealogy in Mark because servants had no genealogy. Straight into the service, what Christ began to do. So Matthew have Christ the King. And in Mark, you have Christ the servant. When you come to Luke, you have the Son of Man. You have Christ called the Son of Man more than anywhere else. And it's really about the humanity of Christ. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. When you come to John's Gospel, you remember how it started? In the beginning was the Word. He takes us up into heaven. And you see, what you have in the Gospels is a fourfold picture of Christ. Here's what you have in these living creatures. They're just reflecting Christ. You have the lion, the king in Matthew. You have the calf or the ox, the beast of burden in Mark. You have the man in Luke the Son of Man. You have the eagle in John's Gospel soaring up into heaven. It's a wonderful picture of Christ. But you know, it's also a picture of a servant of Christ. 
Graham will keep me right in this one. But I think it was Pastor William Mullen who, who often talked about the servant of God needs these characters, these characteristics. Sometimes we, we have to be like the lion. You have to be tough. There are times we have to be like the ox. There's work involved. There's times you have to be the man. There has to be the human side. And people need to know that you're just like them. You hurt, you weep, you mourn, you suffer. And you get all of these characters. And then the eagle, the man of God, needs to be in touch with heaven. And you have a fourfold quality here of a servant of God. Sometimes you have to be as tough as the lion. Sometimes you have to be like the ox. You have to dig in and you have to work. I'll tell you, if you want to preach, you have to work. And you have to put the time in. Sometimes we have to be the man. We just have to sit down with people and weep. I remember one of my former pastors, we had a lady in the church went through an awful tragedy and he said, you know all I did, Ian? I just sat down beside her and cried with her. Sometimes that's all we can do. And you have to be like the eagle. You have to be in touch with heaven. I would say not only the qualities of the man of God in the pulpit, but anyone who wants to do any service for God. Now my time's rushing on. Let me give you some scriptures. In Ezekiel chapter 1 verses 5 to 6 and verse number 10, you'll read about these living creatures in Ezekiel. You'll discover they have the same faces. And when you come to Ezekiel chapter 10, I think it's verse 14, you'll discover that they're cherubim. Now here's something to make it a wee bit more complicated. When you go to Isaiah chapter 6, you'll read about another band of angelic beings called seraphim. And you will read similarities with the seraphim because they had six wings. And with twain they covered their face and with twain he covered his feet and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another saying, Holy, holy, holy. You can see the similarities. And so some call these cherubim and some call them seraphim. I, I believe they're just a, a, perhaps a mixture of an angelic band in heaven. And like the cherubim, they protect the holiness of God. Remember, it was the cherubim who were put in the Garden of Eden. And like the seraphim, they proclaim the holiness of God. And here we have them in heaven, defending the holiness of God, proclaiming the holiness of God. Look at the message in verse 8 again. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. You see the pattern? They rest not day and night. When it came to worship, when it came to worship, they made time for God. And sometimes we find it hard to get God squeezed in. You see the, the purity, holy, Holy, holy. Someone has said in the, in the Hebrew, it's like saying holy, holier, holiest. You, you can't get a more superlative statement. He is a holy God. You see his purity. You see his power. Lord God Almighty. You see his perpetuity, his unchangeableness, his immutability, which was and is and this to come. He is there in the past. He's there in the present. He's there in the future. What is it that he can't handle for you? Can you see him on the throne tonight? There's no problem 
too hard. There is no person too difficult for him to save. There is no prayer too big that he cannot answer. This holy, sovereign, eternal, immutable, omniscient God, he reigns tonight. Our God reigns tonight. Then we see the coming course here. We're nearly finished. Look at verse number 9. And when those beasts gave glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever. Here's a quartet. Look at verse number 10. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Here there's now twenty-four have joined in. Now come over to chapter 5. Look at verse number 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having one of them harps and Golden vials of odors, which are the prayers of the saints, verse 11. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels around about the throne and the beasts and the elders. And the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And you can read on and on and you can see the course just grows. It began with the quartet. 24. And then you have 1,000 times 10,000 times 10,000. What a choir is going to be in heaven. As I said on the Lord's Day, I... Maybe I got it wrong. Maybe we got it wrong as an oversight in the church when we perhaps prior, prioritize things above singing. But what a wonderful thing it is to praise the Lord and to sing praises unto his wonderful name. I, I like the way in verse 10, of, if this represents the church, the four and twenty elders, see how they fall down before we, I've said this many, many times, and I'll say it again tonight. We live in a day and age when people want to make themselves big in the presence of God. It's about how high you can jump, how high you can put your arms up. How much movement you can do to the music. And, and it seems to be, and I, I say seems to be, I don't want to judge people, it seems to be very me-centered. The worship here in Revelation is Christ-centered and God-centered. And they're lying on their faces. And they're not seen at all. They just want God to be seen in the throne. And surely that's real worship this evening. You know, they, they don't speak off God so much as speak to him here. Look at verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to, we're in chapter 4 again. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. You know, the, the attributes of the Lord here, how we could sing about them. And I hope when we sing about the Lord, we're singing about the attributes of God. How worthy is he? You know, the four and twenty elders, you'll notice that they cast their crowns before the throne. It's, it seems that being rewarded at the beaming seat of Christ. And when they come into heaven with these crowns on it, it seems when they get a look at the Lord, they just throw everything at his feet because they realize they're nothing. At best, you know, we're just unprofitable servants. We're nothing and he's everything. Heaven is a real place. Heaven is where the throne is. Heaven is where there's no sin. Heaven is where the saints are rewarded. Heaven is where they sing his praises. Heaven is an eternal place. One day heaven will be your place and heaven will be my place. It talks about forever and ever. This phrase is used of heaven. And this phrase is used of hell. And I said it already and I'll say it again this evening. Isn't it great to be saved? 
Isn't it great to be saved? You know, you and I can go through this book of Revelation. And I think we can sit comfortably. Because we know we're, we're saved from the wrath that has come. But it might not be comfortable for some of your family. And maybe tonight if we realize how big our God is. Maybe tonight you'll pray for that person you've given up praying on. Or praying for. Because you've been reminded this evening that God's in the throne. And he's the Lord God Almighty tonight. Will you bring them to him even tonight? Let's stand as we close in prayer. Joyce is going to go to the door. He'll open the doors and he'll greet you as you leave. As we stand just to close in a word of prayer. And then we'll wait a few moments and we'll gather around the throne of grace. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we've spent around the word of God this evening. Lord, we thank you for the help even of the Spirit of God. And Lord, we thank you for help in the study. We thank you for help in the pulpit. But Lord, we realize that we're nothing. Lord, we just want to be a channel of blessing. And Lord, if we can help even one believer get a greater understanding of this book, help even one believer realize that Christ is coming and he's coming soon. And Lord, we don't want to be ashamed when he comes. Encourage the people of God. Lord, encourage us to pray. We've got a mighty God this evening. Let's pray if we really believe it tonight. Be with those who must leave us. And Lord, as we wait on around the throne, may we know a continued sense of thy presence. For it's in our Saviour's name we pray. Amen. Thank you very much.